Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. I thank you so much for joining us here on the program. We have a fascinating, I think, fascinating program. I hope you do, too. Uh, We're going to be talking with uh, a woman who um, is going to share her story uh, in a book that she has written called Toxic Family. That's right, Toxic Family. And uh, it has to do with her story and the challenges that she faced uh, as she was growing up and the decisions that she made. Toxic Family, Transforming Childhood Trauma into Adult Freedom. The website is my guest's name, SusanGold.us. And uh, no, her name is not SusanGold.us. It's just Susan Gold. Susan, welcome to our program. Hey, Richard. Thanks for having me on. You're coming all the way from Montana. And, um, you know, I heard some interesting stories coming out of Montana in the news on this day that you and I are conversing about uh, education. Or maybe, no, I, t- I think I stand corrected. I think it may have been Wyoming. Although, I don't know, maybe Montana's following suit in terms of education, removing certain elements of our um, accepted uh uh, scientific findings, especially in, in in as far as gravity is concerned, for example, and they're saying no, you can't teach that anymore because there's something not quite right. It could be politicized or something. I don't. I don't. I don't know. Uh, you know. I. It's just this country has just, I think, gone off the deep end uh, when it comes to what we can and cannot learn, and that's why I love attending and i've been attending it probably for you know i'm almost 63 so probably pretty pretty close to 63 years i've been attending attending what they call the school of hard knocks uh you don't get a diploma you just keep getting to move forward as you learn and you went through quite the education uh, especially as a child as you share with us in your book toxic family and I guess, uh, as probably most interviews do, they say, well, so tell us about how this all started and 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 the traumas you went through. And actually, I'm not going to start there. You are presently a very successful person living a play, in a place that you have wanted to live. And these dreams go back a long way as well, don't they? Absolutely. And I'm really glad that you've suggested the starting point you have, Richard. That's totally refreshing. So tell us about uh, not so much the beginnings, but the present. I don't want to, because there is no endings, okay? Uh, Because you just don't know what's going to come tomorrow and the next day and the next day. But you and your partner uh, with a whole bunch of animals, you're living up in Montana these days, close to nature. And we talk about that all the time. So I want you to dive in and share with us from maybe this perspective that as you've experienced it, nature is our greatest teacher, even when, and maybe especially when it comes to toxic families and transforming that childhood trauma. Well, I definitely had a link to nature as I was growing up, but I lived very happily in urban areas, New York City for decades, and then Los Angeles. And I'm just really in rural bliss. I live probably four miles from the Canadian border. 
and I'm outside of a very small town that just got named the number one redneck town in Montana. <laughs> is, is that a good thing? <laughs> I'm not certain. I'm going to okay, have to stay okay. here a little longer and I'll let you know. Okay. All right. I'm just curious. Is there a wall up there? No. Okay. No wall. Didn't think so. <laughs> Sorry. I, I had to put that in. So how did you feel the moment, A, you decided enough of this this urban life, enough of the fast-paced, I got to get out of the city and I've got to get into the natural world. And what made you choose Montana? It wasn't even on the bucket list. Um, <laughs> and I didn't. I did not think I was leaving sunny California as soon as I did. Maybe if anything, I thought I'd move north in the state. Um, but a couple of things started happening. I just, uh, the energy shifted. There was more of an intensity, the frequency sort of amped up. Um, there were rumors that the governor was going to double, double the capital gains tax if you sold your home, which would be kind of restrictive. Um, there was some talk about uh, solar panels becoming cost prohibitive on your rooftop. And I had some that I was leasing. And um, yeah, there was a 5G tower that was um, placed on my neighbor's curb. And my dog started having issues at certain times of the day, like just anxiety attacks out of nowhere. And I thought, yeah, maybe it's time to look for a new environment. So first I looked in West Virginia. Because I'm from the East Coast and mm -hmm. I went to college in a place not too far from there. And I always thought Greenbrier County was beautiful, um, but it just didn't have the right feel. And then I had friends in Montana and my partner's like, you got to go look at Montana. It's magical. And um, we flew in over the Flathead Lake and it felt like Brigadoon or Camelot. It just felt like I was home. Yeah. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I, of course, grew up in uh, uh, rural or urban, I should say, Phoenix, Arizona, in the center of town, uh, or what was the center of town when I was a kid growing up. It isn't anymore. I'm not sure what it is anymore, but uh, I moved to Santa Barbara 17 years ago, and to, uh, well, yes, to my wife's consternation, I don't want to move, um, only because, two reasons. One. Uh, I have been able to live close to the ocean, which is what I've wanted to live close to for a long, long time. And then number two is we live in a rural part of the uh, Los Padres National Forest, which is only, I mean, the drive up from the city of Santa Barbara is seven minutes. And we're at the top of the hill and we're in nature and we have quail and we have uh, owls and uh, crows, and every once in a while, we will see a seagull up there. I can't believe they would come that far north, but uh, we've had a bear, we've had deer, bobcats. I mean, just, you know, you could almost name them. And the most important to me is the frogs, especially after the rains. And it is said that if you can hear the frogs croaking, then you know that your ecosystem is still, it's still okay. Once you don't hear the frogs anymore, something's gone wrong. Something's missing. Uh, I don't know how true that is, but anyway. And I got to tell you, um, 
I took an aptitude test at 19, and I'm curious about your your connection to nature and how early you knew. I took an aptitude test uh, at 19 years of age, and it said I was to be a farmer. And I guess it wasn't until we moved here 17 years ago that in a matter of speaking, I've sort of become a farmer, still living, still working in the city, but living in the country. What kind of uh, inner life has moving to the country? How long have you lived there, by the way? And and what kind of inner life has that given you? What what can you tell us in terms of your personal experiences, uh, um, in terms of that 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 quiet, peaceful walk in that still quiet place, listening to the still small voice? Well, it's a lot easier to hear that still small <laughs> voice here than in LA, Richard. I have to say, and I'm surrounded by mountains. I didn't think. I would live on a prairie in Montana. I thought I had to live in the forest, but I'm really grateful because I have a 360 degree view of incredible beauty. It looks like Tuscany out my front window. Down the side, it looks like the Nepali coast of Kauai. Out in the back, it looks like the Swiss Alps. I mean, it's just, I, I had no idea. And the sky is big in Montana. Yeah, and I can understand that. I... I would have a hard time living in Montana or Wyoming or any of those big, uh, big sky uh, states because they're too far away from the ocean for me. Uh, it's not to say that you couldn't drive there or fly there, I suppose. Uh, but there's something about the water. For me, there's something about the water. What is it about the land and so forth? Is there something specific for you that uh, uh, that just it keeps you there that says, I'm not going anywhere I have to stay close to what? So I'm like you with the water. I have to be near water. There was a little river going through the town I grew up in. Um, and in New York City was surrounded by water. And LA, of course, has water. Here, there are a lot of lakes. Um, and there's a very large 90-mile reservoir very close by. There's lots of waterfalls and there's some swimming holes. So that's my saving grace when it mm. comes to the water, for sure. Um, but the energy is so pristine. It's like Sedona before it became commercialized. Yep. It's just absolutely tangible. And when I'm away, I'm anxious to come back just to feel the tangibility of the exquisite energy that's here. Yeah. We're talking with Susan Gold. SusanGold.us is the website. Toxic family is the uh, subject on the table, if you will. We're going to get into that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it is truly a pleasure to have Susan Gold with us to talk to us and share with us about her experiences uh, working through the challenges of childhood. Let's go ahead and take a look at um, your life in, in Pennsylvania, because that's kind of where the story starts, correct? Yeah. Um, I was the middle of five children with two pseudo adults at the helm doing the best they could, Richard. My dad is a genius astrophysicist, and he also had a little issue with alcohol. Um, and my mother um, was probably equally as genius, but her chance at a 
formal education didn't come. What came were five children in very short succession, along with diet pills, which were prescribed for her compulsive overeating addiction. And so she was on speed and I believe also may have had a mental illness. So the family was very chaotic. Uh, you didn't know what was gonna happen from one moment to the next. Um, and the interesting thing now in hindsight, my brothers and sister and I, we all have our own very specific interpretations of what it was like growing up in that family system. Well, I can, I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to say quite honestly, I can't relate because I didn't grow up in a family like that. My parents were, um, you know, very supportive, very positive, uh, very, and I mean, they planned on having a big family. I had uh, two older sisters and two younger sisters and a younger brother. Uh, I have since lost my eldest sister. She passed away last year. And then my father passed away this year. And uh, but they were fantastic parents. Now, some would say, well, Richard, you're lying because there's never always the good. It isn't always great like Norman Rockwell. And I use that analogy. that We're not quite Norman Rockwell, but, uh, you know, um, maybe not. But I will say that that we uh, were a family that worked through many challenges together uh, as we were growing up. In a house that was probably no more than 1,300 square feet, three bedrooms, one, one bathroom, and five women. And we survived. <laughs> we, we all came through it. So it's hard for me sometimes to relate to something like this because I, and I, I'm not going to, I'm not, I'm not going to say that, oh, maybe I'm blocking something. No, I, I can tell you I'm not. My parents gave me my independence very early on, uh, and um, I'm very grateful for that. But now I find myself being drawn back to them because of these passings and 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 the how that brings us closer together. Talk to me about these re these relationships with your brothers and sister, in terms of how the each one of you, the five of you, related to this whole situation with your parents. You know uh, that. I mean, for kids to have to deal with something like that, they say they shouldn't have to deal with that. But you did. The five of you did. How did you cope? Well, Richard, in hindsight, it was hurt and abused children, raising hurt and abused children. And I didn't really understand the level of the dysfunction until my early adulthood when I started playing out similar issues that I had seen growing up. Mm -hmm. They were playing out in my own life as an adult. And that's something that I never thought would happen. But honestly, I didn't have a lot of tools as a 17-year-old the morning after high school graduation when I left that family. And there were a lot of positives. I mean, even today, some of my high school friends say, I had no idea what was happening. My college boyfriends stunned. What? I had no idea. And nor did I, Richard, really to the depths until I went back and examined it as a result of all these red flags happening in my adulthood. Mm. 
Now, you have also had uh, a few experiences with uh, performing artists like uh, Bill T. Jones and and uh, and Paul uh, uh, Zaloum, I believe is how it's pronounced, and leading you into a world of mainstream entertainment after college. Tell us about uh, that experience. Uh, and and did it did that traumatize you too? Because we've heard some of these stories of people who get into this industry. Uh, of entertainment, uh, whether it's music or acting, what have you, and they get they go down the wrong path. And we've known of a lot of people who go down that path and they don't they don't last very long. Well, I think the dream began when I was 10, watching Barbara Walters on my beanbag in my basement on my <laughs> belly and just so wanting to get to New York City. I was very determined and very focused. And I didn't really want to go to college, but I felt like you had to tick that box. So my sophomore year, an alumni came through and she described what she did in New York, which was to run an arts management firm. And I thought that was fascinating. So I wrote her from the Jersey Shore where I used to work in the summer. And I said, I'd like to come next summer and intern for you. And she said, you have to come this winter. We have our first Broadway season for one of our artists and we need your help. So I was 19 living in Greenwich Village, Richard, on my mm -hmm. own um, in my first arts management internship. And it really widened my eyes to uh, the freedom of the city and the real love I had for the energy of that incredible place, as well as exposed me to these amazing artists. You used to see Eric Bogosian walking around in Spalding Gray. And yeah, it was really super great. But after college, I wanted something more glitzy. I wanted to work in a skyscraper on West 57th Street. And I wanted to work in um, more traditional um, entertainment movies and, you know, stuff like that. So I got a job at ICM. I knew no one in the straight entertainment industry, got a job and was working for the head of the commercial division. He did celebrity endorsements and he left the agency and invited me to go with him, which I did because I could really learn. We were one-on-one -on -one in a studio apartment. And when you're in a large talent agency, everything happens behind closed doors. So to earn some money on the side, I was actually training Barbara Walters. Um, and I knocked on her door at like 7 a.m. for our training session. She took one look at me, Richard, and she said, what is happening with you? And I didn't usually spill beans on personal issues, especially with people that I was working with, but she got it out of me. She was a great interviewer. Mm. Um, my boss had a little sexual addiction and he would invite young women in for their casting moment and ask me to leave. And he had tried the same thing on me the night before. So mm. I was really traumatized. It kicked up so much from my past. And Barbara said to me, we're going together this morning and we're confronting this man. And I said, thanks, Barbara. I think I'll, <laughs> I'll be able to handle it. And I did confront my boss that day. And he said, do you have everything you need? And I said, yes. And he said, great, you're fired. Mm. And I had no other job to go to. I had about two and a half months of cash in the bank and I had just extricated myself from a very abusive relationship where the gentleman held the power through the purse strings. So it was a tenuous time, but I decided to launch my own talent brokerage firm 
matching celebrities with brands because I couldn't go back into that assistant role. I was too traumatized. And um, my first deal was to knock on the factory door and convince Andy Warhol to do a commercial for Pontiac. Now, you don't look old enough. You, what were you, three when you approached Andy? Come on. Really? Wow. That's incredible. And he did it, right? Well, I, I remember being ush ushered in. The studio was super dark. Like, I couldn't see the floor. I could just <laughs> see the pin spotlight coming down in his hair, like going 17 different directions. And he was penciling like really with intensity, like, you know, he penciled this and then he dropped that and then he penciled this. But there were these three pugs running around the studio and they would like tug on his pants leg and he'd pick up those pugs and he'd ooh and on. You know, it was all about the pugs. He could care less why I was there and why I was yammering on. He did not make eye contact. It was, it was a tough audience. It was a mm -hmm. tough room. So finally he just paused and he looked up and he said, now really, why should I do this? And I said, because you can have the pugs in the shot with you. <laughs> and that and? sealed the deal that sealed the deal he said yes and that really created my name I just got a reputation for attaching celebrities to all sorts of things that they probably shouldn't have done <laughs> <laughs> but at the same time you obviously had I don't want to use the word charisma you had the energy you had that inner confidence, if you will, because you saw something going on right there. And you knew if you connected those two things together, the chances were pretty darn good that yeah, he just might do it, which of course, as you say, he did. Uh, and I think that that's one of the things we want to talk about as well as we continue here with Susan Gold, SusanGold.us and Toxic Family here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it is a real pleasure to have Susan Gold with us. SusanGold.us is the website. And we hope that you'll pick up a copy of her book, Toxic Family. I want to talk to you a little bit more about this whole aspect of uh, it was your intuition that basically told you, you got to move. It's time for you to move. Um, had you developed the trust in your inner voice, in that intuition at an early age, or did that come along as you got out of that toxic situation, specifically the toxic family life when you finally moved out the day after graduation? Well, Richard, I had it in spades initially. I, I would almost venture to say I was telepathic and it was almost a skill for my own survival. I could read the energy and the emotion um, of the individual that was in front of me. And it was a great necessary survival tool, mm -hmm. but it also became dangerous because things would just come flying right out of my mouth and Honestly, they were truth filled, Yeah, but there wasn't a lot of room for that. So I shut it down tight and I didn't really pick up on it until I got clean. I um, realized I had an issue when I took a slug from a wine jug and it reminded me of hearing the dry sink open at 7.30 a.m. and my dad pop in the whiskey bottle, the cork would come out and you hear, blub, 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 blub. 
And I was like, hmm, I might have a problem here. (laughs) (laughs) And you, but you addressed that. A lot of people, uh, and maybe I should ask you first, how long did it take you from the time you started down that path to then realizing, oh, I have a problem. I may have a problem here. I was really young. I, I think I was, I was 25 when I got sober. So I've been sober for decades and um, I really was grateful to have seen what I did in my family of origin to know, yeah, maybe this isn't okay. But I didn't really want to hear that, Richard, from the therapist that I actually went to for help. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm grateful that I went because I back then, like to go to someone and pay money and t- talk about your issues was like super taboo. But he immediately started talking about was there alcoholism in my family and how much did I drink? And I didn't understand, you know, I was like, of course my grandfather died of cirrhosis of the liver and my dad drinks a ton and I drink, but I'm happy when I drink. Mm-hmm. So what does this have to do with anything? I couldn't understand why this man was talking about alcohol when I had all these problems happening, but I took his word and his suggestion question of not drinking while I was in treatment with him and to check out my dad's drinking problem through meetings and the issues that I may have had growing up as a child of one who may have been alcoholic. Well, it's it's extraordinary to realize that at such an early age. And I say that because a lot of people don't get it until they're in their 40s or 50s or if they even make it that far. Uh, if they have, if they don't end up killing themselves in that process, uh, uh, through maybe cirrhosis of the liver, et cetera, et cetera, and it does create a lot of problems. Uh, I personally, I can't go down that road because I don't like being out of control, and I know not that I have ever gotten completely soused or wasted or anything like that. But even what little I have experienced in that regard, I don't like it. I don't like being out of control. Now, maybe that means I'm a little OCD or something like that, but that's just the way that I am. And so, I, you know, I have a beer occasionally. I might have a mixed drink occasionally. Not a real big wine drinker, that kind of thing. I love those, uh, the hard seltzers that they have. But I mix those with my favorite uh, sparkling, uh, sparkling water uh, drinks. Uh, sparkling ice is the product I like. Uh, I had to switch to uh, from that from sodas, uh, which was a good thing for me. That that's a whole other issue, but we won't go there. So now, are you happy? I am happy, but it took me a long time of uncovering and evolving to truly feel authentically happy. I didn't understand what that was. I used to describe it to to friends, you know, close those people around me that I feel like I, I have saran wrap. It's sort of wrapped around me and I'm not really authentic. Like I could smile. I'd be the, the life of the party. I'd be the connector, but I go home and just like be fried. And I understand now I'm a bit of an introvert with extrovert tendencies. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but um, it's taken me a long time to be at the place where I have enough compassion for myself and who I am and all the amazing experiences I've lived through. And that includes the challenging experiences and the challengers, because I feel it's all been a journey, a beautiful soul evolution, even though I think next time I'm going to check that fine print before I come in. <laughs> yeah, I have a funny feeling most of us didn't. It's kind of like the uh, terms and conditions uh, when downloading something from the internet. And we just scroll right on down and click the button so we can move on to install and get moving. And we don't realize that we just gave away our firstborn and the first million that we earned. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. It's it's actually kind of funny in a way, but maybe not so. If we would just stop for a moment, pause and read that fine print. We're gonna, no, I want to rewrite this over here. Uh, that's, the, that's the other beautiful thing about the contract that you're referring to. It's not a contract that somebody else filled out. We are the ones who fill out the contract. And we don't even read our own contract that we then sign and then come into this world with. I, I found that rather fascinating. Uh, I want to talk to you also about uh, the difference between the book Toxic, uh, a Toxic Family and also the uh, aspect of uh, your memoirs. And we'll talk about that as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. We're talking with Susan Gold, susangold.us. We're also speaking about the, the work that she has provided us with. Uh, and I say us, I mean you and me, everybody, with the book Toxic Family, Transforming Childhood Trauma into Adult Freedom. Uh, susangold.us is the website, susangold.us. We will be linked to your website also, Susan, so people can uh, can find out more and get in, get in contact with you. But this book ha has a specific focus, which I understand. But would you consider this your memoir or would your memoir, blah, 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 your memoir contain a whole lot more of the of the good stuff as you were growing up and 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 into your teens and twenties and thirties. I do feel it is my memoir. I do feel it's an incredibly taboo subject, and I want to give credit to my amazing publisher, TVG Publishing, and the whole team there. They were the actual geniuses to come up with the title of Toxic Family. My title was Magical Illumination because that's what I feel like it's been. Mm -hmm. I had to pull these pieces together and really dive in. And I feel like those players that played their part in that family did so masterfully. I have tremendous respect for my father. He came from a difficult upbringing. My mother's upbringing was horrendous. And they really were doing the best that they knew how to do. And that is the exact family and the exact position in that family as the middle child that I needed to explore the lessons that I wanted to experience in this life. And one of them was to really understand my power as a human being. Mm. That's extraordinary that you 
of all people, having gone through all that you've been through with these people you call your family, uh, your parents specifically, and yet you are grateful for their participation in you becoming the person that you are today. You know, it's funny, my father, before his passing, he and I would have conversations where he would basically say that, uh, no, your mother, she she really is the one who who raised you kids. Because, you know, he would say, well, you know, because he was at work five, five days a week, uh, eight hours a day and so forth. Well, he was home in the evenings. He was home on the weekends. It wasn't like he was one of those salesmen who traveled all the time or anything. And at our at his memorial, that was the general theme, although none of us coordinated with each other. The, the five of us kids, none of us coordinated. And yet the, the final message was, dad, we wouldn't be who we are if it weren't for you. And that's how you see your parents. And that is quite extraordinary. There's, there's, it doesn't seem to be the bitterness, if you will, the, the animosity, the, the, uh, uh, the hatred, if you will. And you, what you worked through all of that and you've let all that go, or was it never there in the first place? Oh, no, I had work to do. Definitely. I had a lot of digging. I did not want to go back into that home um, when it was initially suggested. So there were a lot of painful sessions and I did all sorts of modalities, um, analytical and somatic. And I feel like the somatic is really what helped shift that trauma out of my body. But no, I have incredible compassion I mean, the horrendousness that my parents had been through and how they came together and the acidity in their relationship, um, just the flammable toxins that it, that it was. I mean, my oldest brother that I have the most abuse uh, with, his childhood is almost completely blacked out, Richard. Mm. almost complete amnesia that to me is painful it's sad and to be carrying around guilt and shame that i was for years just really doesn't serve now now since we don't want to talk about other people's stories uh i because I, I was going to ask a question about your brother but i'm going to ask this of you what has your health been like over the years as uh, before you began? I mean, again, I know there, there was the drinking, but before you began to realize I got to deal with this stuff, I better get started kind of thing. Uh, how was your health? And again, as I said, I know we're, we're aware of the, the whole aspect of the drinking. I was very codependent. I was like a chameleon. I would change on a dime when I thought I knew what you and who you wanted me to be. And that's been a theme that stretched throughout my trajectory um, on varying degrees. Um, so I think that was a real remnant of that upbringing that I've really had to work through. Um, to be willing to come to understand who I am authentically inside my own being, not as I relate to, to six other beings in a family unit. Mm -hmm. 
What about your partner? How long have you been together? Hmm. Well, thanks for asking. Um, we've been together probably three years or going on three years, and he is nothing like I've experienced. My trust button was shattered, um, and I did fail at marriage, and I didn't want a relationship of any kind, especially once I understood how capable I was. Because let's just say I sort of went for the low hanging fruit because I didn't have confidence and I didn't want to be abandoned. And I didn't treat myself as a human being. I treated myself as a human doing. Let me do for you what I think you want. So I'll be worthy of your attention and your affection. And my partner now um, was in love with his wife when she passed after a five-year battle of cancer, diagnosed mm. at stage three and a half. And to me, that is a tribute to pure love and mm. support. And I didn't understand pure love and authenticity as it related to coupleship or love. It was more tit for tat. I'll do this if you do that and keeping score. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it raised the question for me in a previous interview uh, with one of my guests about defining and describing the difference between being in love and loving someone, but loving them unconditionally. And, and, and again, there also throws up a, there, it throws up a couple of other, uh, of two words. One that I will not use in this context, the word tolerate, uh, -uh tolerate, there's judgment in tolerate. You know, when I say I'm going to tolerate you, I'm saying there's something wrong with you, but I'm going to tolerate you in spite of what's wrong with you. I will accept you the way you are. Do I have to like the way you are? No, I don't have to. But I accept you because you have every right to be here just like me. And when you described your partner and how you've described yourself, you know that the first thing I thought of, oh, my God, these are two puzzle pieces that for, that absolutely fit together because she's going to get someone who's going to truly love her as she as he did her uh, her uh, his um, uh, his his wife who passed. I mean, he hung there until and you're going to get some and that's what you're going to experience. And then you're going to get to have that same experience of of doing the same and being a human being instead of a human doing, because he isn't going to care what you do. He loves you for who you are. Right. Which is just astounding. It's it's like being on Mars, Richard, and I still have to catch myself. Hmm. Wow. And you're still, so you're still, and again, it's still very young, a relationship. So you're still learning how to accept as well as receive, right? Absolutely. And yeah. it's been a, a beautiful, luxurious lesson, but it's also brought up the pain of what I permitted and all I knew up until that point. And I'm curious, 
And again, I, I, you can't really speak for him, but I can only get from you your experiences of him uh, and how he relates to you when you're in those phases. Is it? Well, he can he can see it clearly. He's quite intuitive ah. and a medium himself, so I don't get away with it, Richard. <laughs> he calls you on your stuff sometimes. Oh, we can see literally right through it. Yeah. And how does that make you feel initially? Frightened, like I want to hide under the closest chair or fine cover. It's terrifying because the intimacy is present. Yeah. You know, I... I I share uh, an enormous amount about myself and my life. I have for uh, the 40 plus years that I have been interviewing people. Uh, I, I often say that if somebody, someone had been following me and these, all of the interviews I've been doing this program, I've been doing for 15 years. Uh, they could write my unauthorized uh, biography. Uh, that's how much I share on this program. And I don't care. And here's the reason why. God, the universe, the divine, whatever you want to call, already knows everything. And there are over 8 billion people on the planet, and most of them don't care because they're too busy just surviving. Have you reached a place yet where you aren't surviving anymore? You're now thriving? So or I have I have more than glimpses of that. I didn't understand what that was. I was a hamster on a wheel. I had post-traumatic stress. My central nervous system was on overdrive. You know, I was a television producer. I was self-made. I was a hustler. I was moving. And when I wasn't moving professionally, I was moving through endurance athletics. I was a marathoner. I was a triathlete. I came in third and escaped from Alcatraz, for goodness sake. I saw I that. That was astounding what what uh, the men and women had to go through to <laughs> to escape from Alcatraz. Amazing. Congratulations on even coming in third. Well, it just goes to show you where I was mm -hmm. in my life at that point. I really needed that kind of accolade and that kind of achievement. And then when the injuries got too serious from triathloning, I decided to put all my focus into master swimming and not having been a swimmer as a kid. Growing up, within four years, I had a national ranking. I was trained by a world champion and a multi-Olympian. And I was throwing kettlebells and doing hot yoga and walking my dog around the block three times a day and being a single mom. Mm. It was insane. And by the way, do you see the metaphor of your swimming in that uh that a competition of swimming from Alcatraz, you are swimming away from the prison that you that you had created. Literally. So you could see in childhood, right? You don't really have much of a choice, but I recreated it in my adult life. And it took the universe to take it all away for me to rip apart yet another false persona. 
Mm. to really find compassion and love for my own being and shift. Susan Gold is our guest here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And uh, it's really a a pleasure to be talking with uh, Susan Gold here on uh, the program and discussing the work that she has uh, put herself through. And I say it's work because for each one of us, we we have to do our own work uh, through a book that she has now available for you through the website, uh, both SusanGold.us, but also I'm sure through Amazon and other locations, Toxic Family, Transforming Childhood Trauma into Adult Freedom. You know, I've heard uh, in many instances, Susan, that, um, and this was this goes back a few years, where uh, you, uh, uh, in order to get through some of this stuff, you've got to take a look at what your parents did. In other words, and this was this is actually going back to the '80s. I went through some personal growth programs myself when I was in my early twenties, uh, Life Spring, which was an outgrowth of Est, uh, and I went through their three levels that were here that were in Phoenix. And uh, they used to talk about how, you know, I mean, it used to be they didn't teach this, but it it was still in the in the, shall we say, the psychological zeitgeist of uh, it's your parents fault. Blame your it's it's all it's your, you know, that kind of thing. But then we began to move forward in the 90s and early 2000s. We began to realize what you've already stated word for word. My parents, for example, they did the best they could with the six of us. Uh, Two girls, two adult girls, then myself with a visual impairment, my brother with a visual impairment, then my two younger sisters with visual impairments. They did the best they could with what they had, and they did what they could. And uh, I still remember my mother saying to me, and I think I was in my early 20s, And we were talking about going through school and getting bullied and all of this. And she apologized for not being able to protect me better. Hmm. And the first thing that went through my mind, I didn't utter this, but it was, what what were you going to do? Follow me around school and make sure that nobody picked on me? That would have made it even worse. But obviously, she wasn't speaking in in that respect. She was just, I think she was just empathetic that I had to go through that. However, that's part of what has made me who I am today, you know? And so when you talk about your parents, you still speak from a position of love for them and of them, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And some people, it spins their heads. They just can't figure it out. But I feel like that's part of my messaging I mean, basically, I've done a life review here now while I'm on earth rather than wait till I ship out. (laughs) (laughs) I like that ship out. I like that. Yeah, I'm not sure when we re when we embark. uh, I don't know what my embark embarkation date is. I I, I don't know. Have you seen uh, um, the movie with uh, Meryl Streep and uh, Albert Brooks uh, who uh, are going through a life review? She is having the time of her life eating anything and everything she wants because she knows she can't gain any weight. She's going through her life review and just having a blast remembering some of these things. Albert is out of his mind going crazy thinking, 
my God, they're going to punish me. There's going to be all kinds of judgment uh, as he's going through his life for you. All they want him to do is look, they're not, you know, and it's just so funny to watch the dichotomy between the two of them. You know, her, her being way up here and he's just down here like, <laughs> and wishing he wasn't there. And I hope that more people are, do you teach people how to do this, how to go through their own life review here and now before they ship out? Can you? I, I do. And it's so natural. I mean, really, Richard, and you know this from all of the interviews that you've done people need to speak they need to tell their story they need to flush it out so that's the first step let people speak let them be heard with love and tell their story mm. and then i have lots of tools too that i use they're actually in the appendix in the book i didn't want the book just to be you know, a story with no experience for the reader. So based on the corresponding chapter, I have a specific exercise that I either used when I was going through the experience or I use now. And people that have read the book and given me some feedback say, the story is riveting and the workbook brings it all full circle. It makes sense of it all and it gives them something tangible in their own life. So your listeners could just grab the book and read it and start going through the workbook. They can contact me, have a conversation with me. I would love to hear their story. And then I also do work with individuals that need that type of support to help walk them through some of the similar things that I've been through successfully. Hmm. One of the things that I have uh, uh, learned and also experienced myself is that <clears throat> you and I and everybody listening or watching, we all have the same emotions. The intensities are a little different, certainly, but we all experience the same emotions. And it is those stories you speak of. That's what makes us unique, not different, unique. And you're telling the listener and the viewer they need to tell their story. How would you recommend that they do that? Have you, uh, what, what, suggestions within the context, for example, of toxic family and the workbook portion, uh, would you, would you uh, offer some, some advice in that regard? Well, I'll tell you one thing that, that I did. I mean, it's part of the reason I wrote the book. So I could see the story and I could see the puzzle pieces coming together and how it all made sense. And that's one of the suggestions I make. I mean, obviously not write a whole book, but write a memory that has poignancy to you or meaning. It could be, you know, magical. It could be horrendous. But you see how the pieces come together and how that's impacted where you are now. And you can see that it's not such a black boulder with muck but it actually has flecks of gold in there. And we just tease that out. Mm. And like a prospector in his, in his, uh, in his little pan as he's sifting out the sand, right? 
Absolutely. You got it. <laughs> it's fun. Yeah, I've never done that, but I think it would be fun if you, even if you came up with just a few flex, you say, hey, I actually found some gold. Well, there is no, hey, I, I actually, you definitely will find gold when you start panning your own stream, so to speak. Yeah. And we don't realize it. And some of us aren't brave enough to. I mean, it's just painful. The amount of luggage we're dragging unnecessarily. It's like Robert De Niro in the mission. Remember, he's carrying that bag of metal through the jungle and scaling the cliff. And finally, you know, bam, down it goes. Yeah. If you put it in the modern day uh, air travel vernacular, think about how much you're going to end up paying extra to put that all of that baggage underneath in the luggage compartment of that plane, not to mention the carry-on that of pain and so forth that you keep near and dear to you that you're going to carry with you and just put it in the overhead so that you can be close to it. And imagine how much that's going to cost you in dollars and cents, let alone in, in your own health and well-being, physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. Can you talk to us about your spiritual life? I, I asked you about your inner life in terms of your intuition, but what about the 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 faith or hope or however you want to describe it that sustains you as an individual? And keeps you moving forward to want to do this, knowing I'm going to be a better person if we're doing this. Wow, Richard, that's another really rich brocade of a question. And I'm just so happy to delve into it. I was raised in a very strict religious background growing up. But I want to say that the faith and the discipline served me. And there was also belief in the mystics. So I would speak to angels all the time. Mostly it was like, where are you? And can you beam me up, please? I need to <laughs> get out. <laughs> but um, eventually that that religion became a bit hypocritical as, as I moved on out of teenage years. And um, alcohol became my religion. That was my comfort, my ease, mm -hmm. my blanket, my soothing. So when I dropped that, I really had to dig because I couldn't live in comfort without what I thought was my best friend. And so that's when I really found source or a higher presence that worked for me that I could turn to um, and did repeatedly. Um, and that's really fed me. It's changed. I've done lots of meditation, week-long sits and silent meditation retreats with no contact and formal sits and walks and, you know, endurance athletics. That's all very sort of meditative and connecting, but I did have to find some kind of strain, some kind of higher energy that could help me navigate this wild 
and wacky and beautiful ecstatic planet. Mm. This is a beautiful place. And it's one of those uh, aspects we talk about on this program uh, in terms of uh, the fact that uh, we want to make, we want to change the world for the better for everybody. It doesn't mean that this is an awful, terrible, and I use the term icky <laughs> place. No, this is a wonderful place. And as always, there's always room for improvement. And uh, there's always room for improvement within each one of us. And that's what you're sharing with us is the experiences that you have had going through the process of your own self-improvement. Um, do you think that you will ever reach that place of perfection and maybe better yet? What do you think perfection is as a human being? And, uh, based upon that definition, do you think you'll ever reach it or, or have you reached it already? Well, I'm grateful to say I've surrendered that perfection flag. It's down and I'm grateful. And I wish I had never received that programming. <laughs> so I've kind of broken that matrix and it feels good. That's part of the freedom that I've experienced as an adult doing the work I have and walking the road that I've chosen to walk and stepping up to my past and how that engages in my present. So I'm, I'm really grateful to um, be aware when that perfectionism piece of me comes up just to say, hey, how you doing? Go take a seat in the back of the bus. <laughs> I like that. That's very good. That's very good. I like that. Susan Gold, SusanGold.us is the website and Toxic Family is the book. And you are listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And uh, Susan, I want to thank you for giving us so much time here on this program. I thank all of my guests for doing so because, hey, you know, you could be doing a lot of other things right now. And I appreciate you doing this with us right now. And that is sharing your story. So thank you so much. It's a privilege. And even if it helped one being, including you, Richard, I'm grateful to have spent the time. And I just really appreciate your expertise and your experience as a phenomenal interviewer and host. And you come from the heart and I appreciate it. It reads. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate the compliment. Uh, I, I have to say that, uh, you know, in doing this for so many years, uh, this is my therapy too. So yes, I'm listening. I mean, I'm not just listening. I'm listening because <laughs> I can use all the help I can get too. I have three final questions for you uh, that I ask all of my guests. But before I ask you those questions, let me first thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, where we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. We are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., 9 a.m. on Wednesdays for a special edition of Tell Me Story. And uh, we uh, are streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. 
We are also on po- podcasting on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. And we are on YouTube where you can watch these interviews. We hope that you will. And we also hope that you'll go to our guest website, which we are linked to. That is SusanGold.us. We also ask that if you can help, uh, help us out financially, supporting us in that way, we would greatly appreciate it. If you can do that, great. We have a PayPal account. It is there for your security as well as ours. When you go to PayPal and you want to send uh, uh, send us a, some some support, they're going to ask you for an email address to whom to send it to. That email address would be Richard at RichardDugan.com. That's Richard at RichardDugan.com. Also, if you would like, uh, we would like for you, I hope you'd like it too, to uh, participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, where we ask you to spend some time going within, listening to that still, small voice. And as I've said before, and I will say it again over and over again, it will never put you in harm's way. It may challenge you as it has me. My friend has challenged me on many occasions. I have resisted for as long as I can until I finally acquiesce and say, okay, I'll do it. And it's a whole lot better turnout than if I had said, no, get away. I'm not listening to you anymore. I won't do that. No, no, no. And it does get easier every time you trust. Okay. The trust does build. So please take the time to listen to that still small voice. And with all of that said, let's go to our three final questions for our guest here on the program. The first one is who is Susan Gold? Oh, wow, Richard, that's a great question. And I'm happy to answer it because I actually can these days. If you would ask me that a little while ago, I would have struggled, but I'm a human being walking this earth one step at a time, the best that I'm able all to learn and evolve. What is your life's purpose? I believe my life's purpose is to understand and intuit my power and my ability as a human being and to share that with others who may not know the same. And finally, what was your best day? Oh my goodness, my best day maybe the day that I had my son physical pain aside, (laughs) (laughs) but there've been many best days. Wonderful. Well, Susan Gold, once again, thank you so much all the way from Montana. Thank you for joining us, uh, sharing yourself, your life and your family with us. Uh, And um, we certainly, uh, I wish the very best for everyone involved, everybody who has participated in your life and who has made you the person that you have chosen to be. And me too. I'm grateful for that too, Richard. And thanks to your listeners for tuning in. And thank you again for having me as your guest. You're very welcome. And I thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story. And until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to lol, Jeanette, I am still listening. And dad, 
Be happy.